wonderful worship we've been enjoying together. I know that the Lord is pleased when we come and sing praises. When you live someplace where the church is very small and the singing is not very good, you especially appreciate worshiping together with people who sing. And this was a blessing to us to be with you this morning. A man by the name of Richard Llewellyn wrote that memories, strange that the mind will forget so much of what only that moment had passed, and yet hold clear and bright the memory of what happened years ago of men and women long since dead. There's no fence or hedge around time that has gone by. You can go back and have what you like in it if you can remember. Some of us wish we could remember better. But how true that is. And I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about remembering. It's so important to remember. The Bible is full of references on remembering. If you get a concordance, you'll find over 200 references telling the children of Israel, telling us to remember. We're told to remember because we shouldn't forget. Shouldn't forget where we came from. Shouldn't forget what God has done in our lives. And so we don't forget God's promises. So we can have, regardless of what's going on around us, we can have those memories of the good things of God and the blessings of God. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 and 10, the Bible says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a rest from labor. To the Lord your God, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Why? Not just because we're tired and we need to rest, even though some of us probably need that. But the remembering the Sabbath was not just remembering that God rested on that day. But it was remembering that this was the day that His work was completed, the work of creation, and this was the launching pad of the new beginning. And it was from that day forth that wonderful things were going to happen on this planet we call earth. And we, they were told, to remember the Sabbath. Here's the world I created for you. He said, now you go and fulfill your, por- your purpose. Look forward and fulfill your purpose. As we remember, we, us- we should be using our memory to look forward. I used to work with people who had some disabilities, who had some addictions. and Very often they would come and they would have clippings from newspapers or, or, or copies of certificates or diplomas and, and, and they would remember those things and they hung on to those dearly because their life was a mess. And so they would show you all of those things, all of the good things and the good times in their life because the fruit future for them, they didn't think looked very bright. That's not what God means. He means we are to remember the good things that happen because He has a bright future without us. Abraham Lincoln, in his Gettysburg Address, 
He said that it won't be long remembered, but it's the most quoted speech that was ever given in America. I wish sometimes my not long remembered speeches might be remembered, but I'm sure they won't be. But Lincoln said, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or to detract. Without those who taught us, where would we be? Without those who nurtured us, maybe as children, brought us to Bible school, taught us at home as children, read us Bible stories, taught us how to pray, came to our bedroom at night and said a prayer with us, where would we be? Now, if you weren't, if you didn't become a Christian until you were an adult, where would you be without those people who shared the gospel with you? Without the blessings you've enjoyed being taught by others, being encouraged, where would we be? We must remember the past. Lincoln went on to say it is for us the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfurnished, unfinished work which they who fought and have thus far so nobly advanced, it is rather for us to be dedicated to the great task remaining before us. To be dedicated to this great task. In Ephesians chapter 3, one of my very favorite verses in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul wrote that God, there's a God that is able to do immeasurably more than we can imagine 3 verse 20 to do immeasurably more than we can imagine I've got a big imagination and so do some of you but God can do immeasurably more than I can even dream of than I can even imagine I was thrilled as I viewed you and I spent some time viewing all the mission displays in the foyer and if you haven't I would encourage you to do that and I thought to myself what a vision these people have they're not just working in one place they're not just worried about here in where are we west ark all right they're not just worried about working here in arkansas in fort smith but they're concerned about the world and they've got mission points all over the world and it thrills me to see that kind of vision but even that vision just tiny God can do immeasurably more than we can even imagine. What does that tell us? God can do immeasurably more for me. He's given me a greater life than I could even have imagined. All I've ever done is be a missionary. Some people feel sorry for me, you know. I've been all over the world. I've lived abroad more than a third of my lifetime. And I have been blessed immeasurably more than I could have ever imagined. And God is blessing you. And I'm sure a lot of you could say, I agree. I tell people that I'm the most blessed person that I know. And I could tell you a whole long story, a lot more than you'd want to hear, about how I've been blessed. But even that, he's been able to do more than I'd ever hoped for or imagined. We need to tell our young people that story. 
We need to tell them how God blessed people in the Bible, but more than that, I'm sure you're doing a good job teaching children in your Bible classes about all the great heroes of faith. But more than that, what about your life? Tell them how God has blessed you and how you have been blessed. Since there are not many people here that know my family, if any, I want to share something with you. I'm one of six children. All six of us are still alive. I have a sister who's in a coma right now on her deathbed, and Marie Claire are leaving here, and, and I am immediately flying to her bedside in Idaho. She's 81 years old. But all six of us are still alive. Three of us are faithful Christians. Three of us have tried to serve the Lord, have tried to raise our families in the Lord. Three have not. If you want a good reason to be a Christian, just look at my family. The three who've tried have been immeasurably blessed. The three who've not are a mess. And their families are a mess. And I could go on and on and tell you about it. But it's such a contrast. The blessings of being a Christian. And of remembering the blessings that God shared with us. So, to our young people, we need to tell them that story. We need to tell them how God has used us. About in people that we've influenced. And about people that have influenced us. We need to make Christianity live. And it lives in the Bible, but it lives in you and in your life. Do you tell your young men to grow up and be preachers? I hope so. Years ago in Germany, I spent 20 years there, there was a lady that came to church very often, never obeyed the gospel. For seven generations, the oldest son in the family had become a Lutheran preacher. For seven generations. Anybody know a Christian family here like that? I don't. I know some, maybe two or three, but for seven generations. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens because we encourage. We tell people about the blessings of being a Christian. Oh, we teach them the Bible. They've got to know the Bible. But they need to see it alive and see it in us. I remember Brother Maurice Hall, a wonderful missionary who's one of my heroes of the faith who went to France and started the first works in France right after the Second World War, resigned a commission in the, in the U.S. Army. He was a captain planning to have an Army career. He came back to America, and he went back to David Lipscomb, and he, and he got some more Bible and prepared to go to France. And he said, Mama, that's his mother-in-law, kept saying, Why are you going over there and taking my grandbabies? I tell people sometimes I think grandchildren are the biggest curse to mission work that there is. <laughs> I don't mean that in reality. I have two grandchildren myself. But they keep people from going very often. And he said, Mama kept saying, why are you going to take my grandbabies way over to France? And this was in the late 1940s, so that was really way over there in those days. You went by ship. You maybe corresponded by mail and it took a month or six weeks to get an answer <clears throat> way over there and he said we tried to explain to mama 
every way we could think of. That, and finally he said, I said, well, we just believe it's the Lord's will. And he said, Mama said, the Lord nothing. It's that old Gatewood. Otis Gatewood had encouraged him to be a missionary. It's that old Gatewood, not the Lord. Well, the Lord uses you to influence people. And I'm delighted to see that you have people from this church that you've raised up that are going and sharing the gospel abroad. And that's the way it should be. So when you see these little boys, say, you going to be a preacher? This same brother, Maurice Hall, used to carry candy in his pocket, and he'd stand at the back door after services, and they'd come by, and he'd say, you going to be a preacher? <laughs> they'd all say yes, and they'd get their candy and go. All right. We need to encourage them somehow to be a preacher, to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. Everett Hufford, that you all know, who was the dean of the Harding Graduate School and is still connected with that school, tells me that there are 250 preachers a year quitting, and there are less than a third of that number who are beginning. There's a shortage. Where would you be without a preacher to stand before you and share the word? And I know you have capable brethren here who can do that. But the Apostle Paul taught us that we must preach the gospel in Romans 10. He said, how are they going to hear if they've never heard? I mean, respond if they believe if they've never heard. And how are they going to hear without a preacher? Now, as wonderful as the Internet is, and as wonderful as television is, the gospel has got to be preached, the oral gospel. As wonderful as all the humanitarian works are, and I've been involved for years in many of those. And I think they're vital in opening the doors. But the gospel still has to be preached. And you're sending out preachers and teachers to share the gospel. Lincoln went on to say in his speech, We hereby highly, highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God shall have a new birth. We could say we hereby highly resolve that Jesus did not die in vain. That he didn't die in vain because we're saved. And because people around the world are being saved. I moved to the city of Bremen, Germany in 1968. A city of almost a million people, over a million now. And I looked around and I said, how can it be that there's only a handful, there was none that we knew. But I always believed and hoped that there were some New Testament Christians in the, in the city, and I found one or two. And I said, how can it be that there's so few of us? God told us that not many would be called. Jesus said that the gate was narrow, and not many were going to come in. But how can they even have a chance to come in unless somebody go and preach? That's why when I meet students in Cambodia, we've had a big English Bible study program, and they come to improve their English, and many of you have done that kind of thing. And when they come and study with us, and about half of them have never heard, never heard, the name Jesus. They're bright, young university students. 
never have heard of Jesus Christ. Don't know anything about the living God. Never heard his name. We, first, when we went there, we were naive. We didn't know anything about Asia. Our background was Europe. Marie Claire's French. She grew up in France. I spent 20 years in Germany. We thought we knew how to do mission work. We found out we didn't know anything about Asia. We'd say God, and they'd say, oh, yes. You believe in God? Oh, yes. And then we found out they meant God tree and God rock. And God's sun and moon and stars and God rain and thunder. We start saying the living God every time we use the word God. The living God. You know, everything that turns out to be big began small. And we see that from the Bible. We see that how Jesus with just 12 men turned the world upside down begin small. You send out a missionary to a city of a million people or 20 million people or however many, and you go there and there's only a handful of people. When my daughter, Phil Jackson's wife that was mentioned this morning, Rebecca, was tiny, we lived in Bremen, we moved up there to begin the work. We were home and she was three years old. We were in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We were sitting in an elder's house and in the living room, and she was a three-year-old playing around. You know, we were just visiting. And one of the elders said, well, how do you begin a work in a place where there's no church? Here, almost anywhere, he said, we can go and find a handful of Christians to, to begin. How do you begin where there's nobody? And before I could answer, Becky jumped up, three years old. She said, I know how to start a church. She says, first, you go to church by yourself for a long time. <laughs> and she said, then pretty soon people start coming, and you have a church. And that's exactly right. You go to church by yourself for a long time. And it's not easy. But that's not important. You go because you're sent to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. Exciting things are happening around the world. I remember when we used to go to a mission conference and, and, and they'd have a map on the wall and they'd have a dot on every country where they knew they were in just two Testament Christians and they'd be talking about we need someone to go to these countries where there's no one that we know of. I'm told now by those who study those things that there's not a single country in the world where some of us don't know about a Christian family. Now, maybe it's just a handful, but they're there. How did that happen? That happened because a lot of people like you sent those folks, and a lot of people went and went to church by themselves for a long time in order to plant the church. God opens doors. The reason we start small is because He knows we have to grow. We send out young missionary couples, and the young missionary couples who are here, don't take this wrong, I was in your shoes a couple of years ago. We send out young missionary couples, and they don't really know because they haven't been there much yet. Maybe they've made a survey tour. And they start out small, and I believe that's God's plan. 
If there was a big group there, they wouldn't know how to manage it. But they grow with that group. And that group grows with each other. And pretty soon, as Becky said, you've got a church. But we start small and we plant that seed and it begins to grow. God opens all kinds of doors for us and we need to have the vision to keep moving. And you've had that vision around the world and I commend you for it. And I encourage you to continue looking. Never say, this is the only place we're going. This is the only place you're going until the next opportunity knocks on your door, I pray. And until you have a vision about this other country that needs you to come and is calling you, like they called the Apostle Paul to come over to Macedonia. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, another remember passage. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath, to begin this, to launch out. Chris, I'm already over five minutes. He told me if I quit five minutes early, I'd get a prize. Well, I lost my prize. But I want to conclude in the middle of my lesson (laughs) by saying that because Jesus died, you're here. Because Jesus died... We know that the world that is lost can be saved. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And your contribution next Sunday is going to make that possible. When I went to Mesa, Arizona, where Ken Fox, whom you know, was preaching last year at their mission Sunday, he said, now whoever our mission speaker is, we expect him to give the biggest contribution. Well, I'm happy that you're not taking that contribution today. Today, if you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to do this. We hope we've encouraged you and inspired you to see that this is the only way. The only life where you can have peace and joy. Where you can be loved by people who aren't even your family. And that you'll come today and say, I want to be a Christian. But let's all of us recommit ourselves to serving the Lord to doing more than we've ever done in the past. And you say, well, I'm 80 years old. Well, I'm not too far behind you. But the Lord will allow us. He'll give us the strength to do more than we can imagine. Let's think on that as we stand and sing.